Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we come humbly acknowledging that we are sinful people. Lord, we come acknowledging that to see truth in your word, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to be with us and to open your word to us. Lord, we also know that your word is good and your word is life-giving. We pray as we open it now that you will um, comfort us by it, that you will encourage us by it, that you will assure us by it, Lord, um, and that we will know that you're a trustworthy God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mother knows best. A bit of a cliched old saying, but I wonder how you feel about it. I know my kids hate it, and they can't hack that their mum or I know better than they do about just about anything. Almost any time we try to offer some advice, they can't help but push back. You'll need a jumper at school today. No, I won't. If you carry it like that, it's going to tip. No, it's not. If you sit that close, you're going to damage your eyes. No, I'm not. Now, I know it's not just my kids, and it's not even just kids. All of us, at some point, are guilty of something similar. We might express it a bit differently, but deep down, we think we're the only ones who truly know what's best for us. Let's do a little bit of a test. Has this type of thought ever crossed your mind? It would be the best thing for me if I just get that job or get that exam result. It would be the best thing for me if I didn't have to deal with that person anymore. It'd be best for me if I get married and have a family. It would be best for me if I didn't have to experience this pain. Do those type of thoughts show that deep down, we believe we know what's best for us? If we believe that, we're going to have a problem when things don't go according to our plan. We're going to end up in some pretty dark places because it's going to feel like something's gone horribly wrong. If we're a Christian, there's an added complication. Not only do we think we know what's best for us, we also believe that God will always do what's best for us, which is true. But in practice, those two things together can lead us to believe that things should always go according to our plans. If I know what's best, and God always does what's best, what I want should always happen. So when things don't go our way, we're left asking, has God made a mistake? Does he even know what he's doing? Does he even care? The truth is, we don't actually know what's best for us. Our perspective is just too limited. Only God knows what's best because his perspective is not limited. Today we're looking at Ruth 2 and we're going to see that though things don't always go according to our plans, and this is the big idea for today, we can trust God because he's sovereign and he's kind, so he will always 
do what's best. As we open this chapter, the first thing we see in verses one to seven is that God is sovereign. Now Ruth 2 begins with the introduction of the third major character in this book, a guy called Boaz. We already met um, Naomi and Ruth in chapter one, and now we meet Boaz. We're told that Boaz is a relative of Naomi from Elimelech's side of the family. That's um, Naomi's dead husband. And he's a man of standing and wealth. It might seem like a little bit of an odd way to begin this scene, but what it does is spark our curiosity. This Boaz is someone who has an interest in the well-being of Naomi and Ruth because he's a relative and he also has the means to help. Is there hope for Ruth and Naomi yet? The story in these first seven verses is pretty straightforward. Naomi and Ruth have arrived back in Bethlehem and now they need food. So Ruth asks Naomi if she can go out and pick grain in the fields. Naomi gives her permission and off Ruth goes. That's pretty much it. But there are a couple of things that we may not immediately notice that reveal something significant about God. Let me read verse three. So she, that's Ruth, went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. It's that little phrase, as it turned out, that's important. Of all the fields in all of Bethlehem, Ruth just so happens to land in the field of Boaz, the wealthy relative who might just have an interest in looking out for Naomi and Ruth. What a lucky coincidence. And Ruth luck continues in verse four. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. At just the right moment, Boaz arrives. Ruth just so happens to be in the right place at the right time. How lucky is that? A few years back, I was in a church council meeting, and during this meeting, I thought it would be a good idea to touch wood and knock on the table. I was promptly corrected by an older, wiser Christian man because, as he rightly noted, there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as coincidence or good fortune. Neither is there bad luck. Nothing that happens is random. Everything that comes our way, both good and what we consider bad, is from the hand of God. In the Bible, in Isaiah 45 verse seven, God says, I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. The Bible also says in Proverbs chapter 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Even the equivalent of the roll of a dice or the flip of a coin is from God. There is no randomness. Of course, from our perspective, things often appear random, but as we've said, that's because our vision is limited to the here and now. 
God's is not. Everything that happens is according to his deliberate plan and purpose. That's what we mean when we say our God is sovereign. He has all power and all authority and he rules the entire universe. Everything that happens in his creation, including the meeting of two people like Ruth and Boaz, is his doing. It's no accident. It's purposeful and deliberate from God. That's what we're supposed to see in Ruth and Boaz. God bringing two people together. Not a random coincidence, not good luck. It's God at work. There is no luck because our God is sovereign. Everything he does is on purpose. I think there's a bit of a danger here though. The text doesn't actually say that this meeting was God's doing. Am I assuming God's sovereignty because I believe it to be true? I don't think I am. Chapter one has already forced us to consider God's sovereignty. Naomi's already spoken about God's involvement in her situation. Remember she said in chapter one verse 21, the Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. We've already been forced to consider God's sovereignty in Naomi's situation. And though we agreed that Naomi's tragic circumstance had come from God, we saw that it didn't mean he'd abandoned her. So God's sovereignty is already part of the conversation here in the book of Ruth. It's not misguided to see it here in chapter two. Then in, verses, in these verses, one to seven, God pops up again in Boaz's greeting to the harvesters. In verse four, the Lord be with you, Boaz says, and the harvesters, harvesters respond, the Lord bless you. Now, this could just be a regular greeting like any other, but then you've got to ask, why include it? Boaz said hello to the harvesters and the harvesters said hello back. It's a strange detail to include in a story. Its inclusion shows us firstly that Boaz is a godly man, but secondly, it reminds us of the presence of God in all that's going on in this story. God is right there and he's orchestrating things according to his plan because God is sovereign. So we see God's sovereignty in verses one to seven. But that's not all we see of God in this chapter. We see something else important in verses eight to 16. We see God's kindness. In these verses, Ruth, Boaz shows unusual kindness to Ruth. He offers her abundant food and water and protection. So much so that even Ruth is taken aback. She says in verse 10, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Ruth realizes that this generosity that she's been offered is over the top. It's far more than she expected. In fact, she expected nothing. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabitess. So in her opinion, she should get nothing. Yet here is Boaz showing 
abundant generosity and unusual kindness. Why? Boaz explains in verses 11 and 12. He's heard about the self-sacrificial love that Ruth has shown towards her mother-in-law since the death of her husband, and he's rewarding that self-sacrificial love with kindness. This is what Ruth deserves for what she's done. More than that, Boaz essentially says in verse 12, it's really God who's rewarding you. I'm merely his instrument in giving up everything that offered you comfort and security and moving to Bethlehem for the sake of your mother-in-law, you, Ruth, have entrusted yourself to the care of God. God himself is rewarding you through me. God is honoring that loyalty and may give you so much more. God is kind to those who trust in him. Boaz knows that. And Boaz recognizes that God has made him this instrument of kindness to Ruth. Boaz is functioning as these protective wings of God for Ruth that he talks about in verse 12. In Boaz, God is gathering up Ruth like a little chick in its mother's wings to protect and care for her. What we see here is not so much the kindness of God, or the kindness of Boaz, but the kindness and sovereignty of God coming together in Boaz. And that kindness and sovereignty is expressed in abundant generosity to this lowly Moabite widow who's entrusted herself to God's care. So in Ruth 2, we see the sovereignty of God in the way um, he brings Ruth and Boaz together in verses 1 to 7, and the kindness of God in the way he protects and provides for Ruth through Boaz in verses 8 to 16. A God who's both sovereign and kind is really good news for us. A God who's sovereign but not kind might just torment us. A God who's kind but not sovereign can't really help us. But a God who's sovereign and kind, that's a God who can be trusted. And that's what we see in verses 17 to 23. God can be trusted. So Ruth returns home to Naomi after a full day's work. She's had a big dinner provided by Boaz, so big that she's got a doggy bag of leftovers to take home. And Ruth arrives home with all this food, and it's so much that Naomi can barely believe it. So Naomi asks, where did you work today? And the big reveal comes in verse 19. Ruth says, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Now, as soon as Ruth reveals that she's been working with Boaz, it's like a big light bulb moment for Naomi. She can finally see what's going on. Look at what she says in verse 20. The Lord bless him. He, that is the Lord, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That was what Naomi was worried about in chapter one, wasn't it? 
She was worried that God had turned against her. She believed God had stopped showing her kindness. She never doubted God's sovereignty. The Lord's brought misfortune upon me, she said. She had, however, forgotten God's kindness. Now, as soon as Boaz is mentioned, Naomi immediately remembers that God is kind. This is the evidence she needs that God's kindness has not failed. She sees God is looking out for them through Boaz. She goes on to say, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Already, Naomi's anticipating how this kindness of God might play out. This Boaz is a guardian redeemer. That word, that role, is critical. In the Old Testament, the guardian redeemer was a male relative who had the responsibility to help a relative in need. They had to buy back property on behalf of a deceased family member. They had to cover a debt for a family member. They might have to avenge the death of a family member. The guardian redeemer should take care of widows and children on behalf of a dead relative. They might even have to marry a young widowed relative and provide offspring to perpetuate the deceased's name. That's Naomi's great hope here for Ruth, that Ruth might marry Boaz and everything that Ruth has given up might be restored in this guardian redeemer that God has provided. But there's more to this guardian redeemer idea than some ancient custom that's gonna help some widows in Bethlehem thousands of years ago. What's exciting here is even here, even way back in the time of the judges, God is preparing his people for Jesus and the work he will come to do. The concept of guardian redeemer comes from God. It's his idea. God built it into his law a thousand years or so before Jesus to prepare his people for Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate guardian redeemer for all who trust in him. Just as the guardian redeemer paid off death for a family member, Jesus pays our sin debt by dying for us. Just as the guardian redeemer purchased property, Jesus purchased us for God. The price was his blood. Just as the guardian redeemer married a widowed relative, by faith, we're united to Christ and married into God's family. Death stripped Ruth's hope for a future. Boaz might restore it. Sin strips our hope of a future with God. In Jesus, it's restored. If we believe in Jesus, Jesus is our guardian redeemer. In him, we are restored. Now that doesn't mean all our problems will disappear. It does mean that we found favor in God's eyes. So we can be sure that everything that happens to us is from a God who loves us and he has a good purpose in it. 
there's assurance in that. I might not be able to see the purpose in losing my job or in my child's struggle with, with mental health issues or my spouse wandering away from God or in my relationship breaking down. And I may never see the purpose in this life. But I can trust because God is sovereign and because God is kind, he is doing something good and purposeful. I can trust him to do what is best. Naomi's been reminded of God's kindness through Boaz and she's began to trust again that he's gonna do something good. She has hope that he'll restore them through their guardian redeemer, Boaz. So Naomi tells Ruth to stick close to Boaz, which is exactly what Ruth does until the end of the barley harvest in verse 23. The problem we've got, though, is that we're not Naomi, right? Naomi's story's written, and we see that by the end of the book that Ruth and Naomi experience a complete reversal of their circumstances through Boaz. Everything they lost will come back with interest in their lifetime. But what about us? That's not necessarily going to happen for us. There are going to be things that happen to us in this life that cannot and will not be reversed even if they do ultimately reverse, where's our comfort when we're in the midst of it? Where's our comfort when we don't know how things are gonna turn out? When we're Naomi in chapter one. We can't depend on a certain outcome that we think is best because we all know it might not work out that way. That person we love might die. That child of ours might not turn back to Jesus. The thing we can always depend on is the character of God. That never changes. We trust not in an outcome or a result, but in a person, a saviour, Jesus, who loves us. How do we do that? I want to give us four truths from Scripture to remind ourselves and each other to help us trust in God when we're in the midst of it and we can't see what he's doing. One, be reminded that God's ways are not our ways. God's operating on a plane that is far above what I can see or even comprehend. I can trust that even though I can't see it, he's doing good things through these circumstances and his plans will never fail. Two, be reminded that God knows what you're going through and he knows how much it hurts and he cares. Jesus came in the flesh. He knows what it's like to suffer and experience loss. Jesus wept. 
he understands and he empathizes with us. Three, be reminded that God loves you and nothing can change that. No matter what's happening to you, no matter how severe, God still loves you and he always will. Four, be reminded that it all ends in glory. For us who are Christian, any suffering, any trial, any hardship is time limited. It cannot and it will not last forever. Jesus guarantees it. One day, he's gonna turn our tears into laughter and our sorrow into joy. That's what's coming for the Christian when Christ returns. Our God is sovereign and he's kind to all who trust in him. He knows what's best for us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what comes your way, remember this. You can trust God, even with this. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. Lord, your, your love and your wisdom and, and your, um, your power and your kindness, your compassion, your mercy, your grace... Father, they're more than we can comprehend. Father, help us to trust you, not in an outcome or a result that we think's best, but in you, our Saviour and our Lord. Because, Father, we, we know that you know so much better than we do, and you know us better than we know ourselves. Help us to trust in you at all times and in all circumstances. In Jesus' name. Amen.